Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Good to have you with us in the booth. It's been a minute since we were here last week on a Thursday, Friday, a travel day. For that matter, Monday and Tuesday were as well. Epic trip. Many a meal crushed in a couple of great basketball games. The Kansas game, a lot of fun. The Orange uh, obviously struggled to keep up against a Final Four contender. And then last night in the Garden, which is always a blast, the Orange with a victory against Connecticut, and the most notable thing about that is it's the absence of the type of loss that doomed last year's team. Uh, Last year with an ugly game against UConn, one where Syracuse had a double-digit lead in the second half and saw a game slip away to the Huskies 52-50. Last night, same sort of story. It just didn't slip away. They had that roughly the same lead at roughly the same time and were able to cinch the game, winning 72-63. Good to have you along with us on the show. Matt Park in today. Paulie's still finding his way back. Joe Salzone along for the ride and hope uh, to have you involved as well. You can join us by phone at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. If you'd like to join us on the show, we're going to talk about last night's game and the observations that he may have had with Seth Greenberg of ESPN a little bit later in the show tonight. Morley, today, more specifically today, I guess. We can talk about it tonight, too, but this won't be on the air. Tomorrow night, we'll have Coach Bayheim in the AmeriCube Jim Bayheim show over at Shaughnessy's, the Marriott Syracuse downtown. We'll get his thoughts on what he's doing tonight, which is, as he told everybody, Bruce Springsteen. He capped his press conference yesterday after the game, a very late night uh, in New York. The game didn't even start till 9.30, so it had to be midnight or a little after that he was doing his press conference. Uh, Talked with the media for about nine minutes about the game. We're going to hear some of those sound bites here. And then said, have a good night. I'm sticking around for Springsteen. The only time I can ever remember Coach Beheim not traveling back uh, from a road game with the team. So hope he and uh, his, I I believe, his wife uh, Julie's on the trip and – they're going to Springsteen, and sounds like a lot of fun down there in New York. A couple of great uh, cities there, back-to-back. Miami, beautiful, 75 to 80 the whole time. And then on to New York, which is uh, decked out uh, for the holidays. And uh, the weather actually was perfect to walk around, and uh, you don't really care to hear about that. But we'll talk about basketball as really the difference in the game last night was somebody that if you were looking – at the possibilities of somebody to be the difference maker in the Syracuse-Connecticut game would not have been your first, second, third, fourth, or maybe even eighth pick. It was Matthew Moyer, who, as a redshirt freshman, has scuffled at the start of this year, came into the game with just 17 points scored in seven games, all of which starts, but he'd averaged uh, only 18 minutes of playing time per game. And last night hit an early three. It was kind of a reluctant three, one of those uh, taken by a guy who is not a uh, 
gifted outside shooter. The Orange have a couple of those that uh, they really don't have any lights out shooters on the team right now. Uh, Tyus Battle obviously is a especially adept score at all the levels and is the leading three-point shooter on the team, and he and Frank Howard can both make them, but uh, they're not going to strike fear in the hearts of opponents uh, with their long-range acumen, and certainly O'Shea Brissett and Matthew Moyer, who've been known to maybe take them, uh, won't either. Moyer made an early three and went on to have a ridiculously good game as he exceeded his previous scoring total, 17 points, in one game. He had 18, also eight rebounds, a number of tip jams, and uh, really was an emotional, energetic leader for the Orange on the night where they needed it in a game they could not afford to lose to Connecticut. So here are the thoughts of Coach Beheim, first of all, on Moyer and his big game. I have got no clue. You need to go talk to Matt. I have no clue. He's been horrible all year. (laughs) And that's being nice. I'm being nice. Horrible is a good description is a nice word for what he's done and he was terrific player tonight and I think he can build on this and well we'll see if uh, Moyer does build on it certainly the energy is there the way he approaches the game and uh, Moyer as we talked about uh, before is a uh, tremendous kid he's a kid at heart (laughs) I don't know you know pushing uh, 20 years old but he's got uh, a great smile and attitude to him and uh, was able to impact the game on the glass last night in uh, a way that uh, that's going to be the strength of this Syracuse team is rebounding. Uh, one of the best rebounding teams the Orange have ever had and certainly one of the best in many years as Coach Beheim made the reference last night. Uh, perhaps the best rebounding team since the Derek Coleman era and Coleman's the best rebounder, one of the best in the history of NCAA basketball. Um and certainly the best rebounder in Syracuse basketball history. So uh, I don't know that anybody here is the first overall pick in the draft and uh, as dominant a force as Derek Coleman was, but they do have some guys that can go get it. O'Shea Brissett with his fourth double-double of the season in eight games uh, accomplished last night. And so lots of good things that happened in the Garden. And to me, when it comes to why was – uh, last night important is it's important relative to the roadmap followed by last year's team. And that's not a competition. Last year's over. Last year's team was disappointing and then it didn't make the NCAA tournament. This year's team is not competing against last year's, but you're looking for the signs of what discussions are we going to have here in late February and March. Are we talking about Syracuse being uh, certainly they're on the you know bubble-ish. Are they going to be on the good side safe? Are they going to be uh, in the discussion as they were last year and just left out of the NCAA tournament field? We're going to ask uh, Seth Greenberg later what his eyes tell him about Syracuse and uh, its NCAA tournament worthiness, and that's a long way off. But as you're building your resume, we can look at last year as a bit of a guideline, and you need to exceed last year to feel better about your your chances this year and so all you can do is to do that is improve on last year's warts to win the games that a year ago you lost and that was one of the positives uh, from last night and coach Beheim puts into perspective how specifically the Syracuse defense is improved on a year ago and 
despite the fact that the Orange have a number of young players, that will be a big uh, storyline and guideline for this season. I think we played hard and we did a couple really good things, but I know we can play better than this. I, I know we can. We're doing some things fundamentally well defensively that we didn't do last year. We looked at the tape from last year and we were giving them open shots and we didn't do that this year. We were much better defensively and our rebounding is much better. Uh, but, you know, we, we have to get better on the offensive end and, uh, you know, I think that we expect to be able to do that. Pascal is playing his first year of college basketball. Uh, obviously, Matt Moyer is, O'Shea, and Marek. And that's our front line. So they're just in their first year. So we would hope that they will get better. And uh, this is the first time Frank's had the team for the whole year. He's going to have it, and I think he'll get better. And I think Tyus has really improved from last year. So I think there's a lot of positives that we can build on, uh, but... Um, you know, Saturday at Col- with Colgate, we'll have a tough game. It's just, that's just college basketball. We've got to get ready for that. Well, Syracuse will be heavily favored Saturday against Colgate and will beat Colgate. But Colgate had Boston College on the ropes, led by I think it was either 14 or 15 at the half in that game a little more than a week ago. And to Coach's point, he's right that there aren't going to be a ton of walkovers. Now, there might be pullaways in the second half, and uh, Syracuse will have better athletes at every position than Colgate, et cetera. But, for instance, a better example might be Georgetown. Georgetown's not had a very good start to the season, but that will not be an easy game for Syracuse on the road against the Georgetown team that will be up for the game emotionally. And uh, each time out, you've got to play well enough to win. Uh, More to the point, I think, from that particular cut is how Syracuse has improved defensively and how that part of it ought to be sustainable as the year goes on and only get better. Speaking of getting better, Frank Howard has gotten a ton better uh, in the larger sense. Last night really laid an egg, and uh, the Orange were able to win uh, despite that. Howard in his last two games at Madison Square Garden, both December 5th games against Connecticut, has really struggled. Last night, 1 of 11 from the field. The previous year, 0 for 9. And the two games combined, oh, for three-point range, and has done his only damage at the free-throw line. Has turned the ball over a bunch and uh, looking to get back to the form that he had been in coming into the game. And we think that is more the uh, rule than the exception in terms of how Frank Howard will play this year. But Howard has not, over his career, sustained uh, – significant success or been uh, tremendously consistent from one game to the next, from one opponent to the next, that it does spark a little bit of concern. I, for one, think you will see Frank bounce back. I think he's carrying himself a bit differently this year, and I think because he's going to, first of all, there's no alternative. He's going to play. He's going to play 35-plus minutes of every game the rest of the way. He's going to play 40 minutes of a lot of games. Uh, Howard Washington will be developed to come along, but as long as foul trouble permits, Frank Howard's in great shape. He's not going to come out for fatigue or anything like that. He's going to play, and he's going to benefit from the fact that everybody in the park, everybody in the community knows he's the guy. He'll be fine. But sometimes you have bad days, and he certainly had a bad day last night, and and I 
gave him one additional miss. We'll bring it up, uh, bring it back. He was actually one for ten last night, zero for three from three point range. But uh, two in a row skunks against UConn. Antoine Anderson's a guy that can kind of uh, get you off kilter a little bit. Coach Beheim knows it's been a little bit of a mixed bag for Frank Howard so far this year, but obviously is confident that uh, Howard over the long haul will be where he needs. Frank's played great all year. He just had a, he had a bad game. You know, he had a really bad game. I don't think it'll happen again. I think it's a good learning experience for him. He just didn't finish plays. It was a physical game. They knocked him off balance a little bit. And, uh, you know, he just made some, he made some bad turnovers. And uh, I think we were fortunate to uh, be able to overcome that. And, and he thinks the same thing. So, you know, we'll get, he'll, get, he'll get back. He's been playing well all year. Just seeing uh, Frank when we all got off the bus last night uh, back at the Mellow Center at 3 in the morning, uh, our broadcast partner, Jim Saddle, and who's got as big a heart as anybody and has certainly uh, been through this as a player himself but also as a coach of many, many players that have had good games and bad. And uh, they kind of came into contact with one another uh, while we're all kind of sorting out the bags. And I could tell Coach Saddle and just kind of gave him the – do you know there'll be days like this kind of 10 second uh, speech and you can tell Frank understands that uh look this one game is not representative of uh, where he is or the season that he's going to have and he'll get back on the saddle I think you'll look for him to in baseball they you know they would call, <laughs> there is kind of a slump busting type concept or bouncing back a get well game against Colgate where now Frank Howard's 6-5 and can dominate Colgate physically and uh, maybe get a little bit more success uh, under his belt and some positive momentum that uh, can kind of get things started in that way. And so look for Howard to bounce back right away. The Orange have Colgate this Saturday in the Dome, and then don't play again until the following Saturday at Georgetown. The schedule slows down a little bit because the school year has come to an end in terms of uh, classes. This is the last week of classes. Now it's into finals and final projects. Uh, and that type of thing. So uh, look for Howard to bounce back, and then the most meaningful games obviously start to come up at the end of the month. All right, so that's uh, a little review of uh, where we were last night, the game in New York and at MSG. We'd love to have your thoughts. If you'd like to chime in at 4ESPN44, that's 4377644. As we continue on the show, get into new Yankee manager, Aaron Boone introduced today wearing uniform number 17, something like the 17th or 18th former Yankee player to uh, manage for the team. It's an organization that has turned to its own more often. Not that uh, Boone would roll off the tongue as an iconic uh, Yankee player. He had a short run and one very important home run a while back. We'll uh, hear some of his thoughts as he addressed the media formally uh, at the uh, stadium today and, uh, Check in again with Seth Greenberg later in the show from ESPN, getting back into basketball and his thoughts of the Orange as a team from the Garden last night. You're in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Tonight in the Carrier Dome, the Orange women take on Colgate. Tip time 7, Orange pregame 645. On the pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. 
Back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. You can join us by phone at 437-7644-ESPN44 if you'd like. In about 20 minutes, we'll talk basketball with ESPN's Seth Greenberg, part of a, a huge contingent of media, etc., that uh, were at the uh, game last night at the Garden. Of course, the Garden brings out everybody. Lots of former players uh, were in the house and uh, the alums and fans that uh, you see traveling uh, to the games and uh, great atmosphere. Still odd that, and I understand, I guess the logic would be if Syracuse and Connecticut, the two local-ish ticket draws, if they're the late game, then the crowd sort of builds over the, the course of the night and makes for a better atmosphere. I'm not sure that it worked that way. Villanova worked over Gonzaga, two really good teams, and Nova's obviously excellent in the first game, but uh, still don't really get why the games were in that order. Uh, Seems to me you put Gonzaga, Pacific Coast team, on the air in the the second game instead of 4 o'clock local time as they played, and the crowd I think probably would have been about the same uh, either way, but uh, always a vibrant atmosphere when Syracuse and Connecticut get together. I didn't see the actual uh, attendance number, but it had to be very close to a sellout. And, uh, of course, when it's a doubleheader, it sort of splits and fragments the fan base, and Gonzaga is not going to bring a lot of fans uh, to a game like that. But uh, Villanova's fans were there and then sort of left in in time for the uh, Syracuse-UConn game. Syracuse and UConn fans tend to, uh, yes, they show up early, but a lot also are taking in the sights around the blocks uh, surrounding Madison Square Garden. And then uh, they will come in and enjoy it, and probably some uh, rough mornings for those uh, on their commute into work today in New York, but uh, worth it last night. And uh, we were in an elevated uh, broadcast position last night at MSG, so for that and other reasons, we kind of spent a little more time walking around and seeing the extent that I hadn't noticed in previous years of the renovation now really completely done. Uh, it was done sort of in phases and now everything's tied together. We used to say about MSG, well, it's not nice in terms of being well-appointed and all of that, but it's historic and great sight lines and et cetera. Now it is not. It really is legitimately nice. Um, it feels, if not brand new, uh, certainly massively renovated. It's clean. It's dark, uh, which kind of puts that stage lighting effect to use. The, the performers at Madison Square Garden – are on a stage, and they know it, and it's clear to everybody uh, for uh, public consumption. And when you do walk around MSG, one of the really great things about it is you get a sense of all of the history that's been there in all walks of entertainment and all different kinds of sports, uh, certainly NBA basketball and NHL hockey, but college basketball, of course. There's a monument up to the six-overtime game from March of 2009, which is very cool. That'll always be a part of of garden history, and as you keep walking around, here's something on the Knicks, here's something on the Rangers, there's the Rolling Stones, there's Billy Joel, there's wrestling, there's the dog show, there's so uh, very, very cool, and uh, that's why it is the world's most famous arena, and uh, I think for the Syracuse players, a thrill to be there, and the program is always going to continue to find a way to be there, even if it's a little bit of uh, not necessarily an automatic annual thing like it used to be for the Big East tournament or even playing St. John's every other year. New Orleans are going to be there on a pretty close to every year basis. They actually lost their last two and three of the last four Madison Square Garden games prior to last night. The last win was in November of 2014 against 
Iowa. Anyway, also happening in New York today, the official announcement of Aaron Boone as the new manager of the Yankees. He was presented by Brian Cashman, the general manager, got up there in his uh, suit jacket, dropped that, and replaced it with a number 17 Yankee pinstripe jersey and ball cap, and then addressed the media throng. Obviously, this is a team with loads of talent. This is a team that in many ways came of age this year and arrived. And I'm really comfortable and believe that me and my staff will be part of helping them take the next step. And obviously the expectations here with the New York Yankees is to win championships. And certainly that's always the goal when we set out each and every year. But what I'm most looking forward to is the chance to have an impact on young men, on young ball players, and being a part of them taking the next step to now become championship-level players. Um, it's been a great last few days for me on the job, getting started, being on the phone with Cash, discussing different things, talking about putting coaching staff together. It's been a crazy few days, but something that I can say is energize me. I've loved every second of it, and I'm really confident that when we get to spring training, we're going to be able to hit the ground running and uh, and hopefully, again, just help this club take the next step uh, as, as we start out embarking on the 2018 season. Well, you can hear Aaron Boone there, and you can also, if you listen to the soundbite, and we've got another one coming for you shortly, you can hear something that sets New York apart. The actual uh, audio sensation there of the cameras clicking and clicking and clicking as he was making his first remarks. We talked about this at one of our dinners off the air. The boss is a big Yankee fan, so it was a uh, topic of conversation on this uh, last road trip. And I'm starting to really come around to Aaron Boone as a fit, and we'll tell you why here in a second. But New York is different. If Aaron Boone was today named the manager of the Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Brewers, you wouldn't think twice about it. Th- those are places where if somebody you know starts clean and is coming from the broadcast booth and hasn't had managerial experience, well, managing the media and the expectations in those markets is not what it is in New York, Boston, uh, maybe Los Angeles, and a couple of others. St. Louis, potentially. That's what's going to be the issue for Aaron Boone. There's a number of reasons that the new manager in baseball is different than the guy with the dip in his mouth and spitting and big, you know, gut hanging over his belt and making the calls by, you know, just his gut instinct. And that's not what managing is anymore. Managing right now is about relationships with the players. There are no plays in baseball to speak of. Everybody does the same thing. It's how do you get your highly paid individuals to perform at their best over the course of a 162 game regular season and then the playoffs which is an entirely different thing. You know, Buck Showalter if you look at the managers in in baseball, he'd be probably the you know the closer to in that old school type spectrum. He's constantly, you know, and he's into data and everything too and probably overthinks it, but that that he is grinding on the game and the positioning of the players and using the bullpen, et cetera. And it's not that Aaron Boone can't or won't do that, but 
his job will be to make sure Aaron Judge is of the right mindset, is feeling good about himself, da 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 So you're going to start to see that. And one of the things about Boone being not that far removed as a player, being a guy who's been around baseball his entire life, his father was a major league player and manager, he has a tremendous respect for the game, which is great. This is a part of it that he gets, and it's that major league athletes have a very good BS meter, and he knows he'll pass the test. It starts, obviously, with a relationship, but that's a respect you earn. And hopefully, I think in short order, I'll be able to earn that respect. You know, that they'll be able to look in me, at me, trust in me, know that, you know, I have their interests at heart, but know that hopefully I know what the heck I'm talking about. And that's, that's something that you have to earn over the initial days in spring training, in the season. Um, I'm certainly confident in my ability and the fact that that will happen, but that's something that's earned. And, you know, big league players are great at, at understanding who's for real or not. And um, I'd like to think that they'll know that in very short order. So the other stuff will take care of itself, the assembling of the staff. And I think just like we talked about this with, say, Mike Hopkins going into his position. Mike Hopkins is qualified to be the head coach at the University of Washington. That being said, build your staff to augment areas where maybe you're a little weaker or you could use some help, and that might be. For now, yeah, Hop's from the West Coast. He needs maybe a West Coast translator related to recruiting. Hop hasn't you know, been the head coach in a lot of games. Maybe you retain a guy who's been a head coach and knows kind of the ins and outs and can keep you on your P's and Q's relative to game management. Same thing with Aaron Boone. Watch his staff unfold. First of all, I think you'll probably see a lot of holdovers from the Joe Girardi staff because it wasn't like the Yankees felt like they needed a complete blow-up. They just need a little bit of a different message. There's a lot of loyal soldiers there that certainly would be in line with Brian Cashman, et cetera. Uh, watch for that. And don't be surprised if people like, you know, and I'm not around it every day, or you know, maybe there's people that know better, but if the Tony Pena's of the world uh, stick around because they know the strengths and weaknesses of the players, know where the bodies are buried, know the ebb and flow of the season, and, and uh, on we go. But I'm coming around to Aaron Boone at first. The first thing I would say is I hate any time people fire a coach or manager without a really good idea of who they can get next. Tennessee, okay, and some of these other places. Unless the person clearly needs to go, and Joe Girardi wasn't in the case of clearly needs to go. Ben McAdoo clearly needs to go for the Giants. They'll figure out who their next head coach is, and maybe it's Steve Spagnuolo or somebody like that. But they got better by moving on from from Ben McAdoo. It wasn't a no-brainer to dismiss Joe Girardi if you're going to do it, I think you have to have a better idea of where you're going to go direction-wise. And maybe it was more in a general sense with the Yankees, hey, we're going to find a guy who communicates better with the players, who's easier going for the things that we're doing. And it's clear that that's what Brian Cashman thinks of Aaron Boone. I've met Aaron Boone briefly one time at a charity event. We know some common people through the broadcasting world. Everybody says, greatest guy going, flexibility, easy going. And uh, I think, obviously, the jury is out. But I think if you're a Yankee fan, you can uh, rest comfortably 
with Boone at this point and uh, see how it goes. It's a long haul. A guy who not only I don't think he'll grade on the players, I think he'll be the opposite of that and uh, be somebody that ought to uh, ought to be an interesting soundbite, I think, for somebody that's as comfortable in front of the microphone as he is. But uh, in terms of steadying the ship over the course of the long season and getting you to play your best in the postseason, Boone will do that. He's well-connected. You can tell he's in line, as he said today, with uh, some of the modern managers like Dave Roberts, like A.J. Hinch, uh, who were in the World Series this year and uh, look for him to take the Yankees in that mold. Come back. Do we care? Seth Greenberg of ESPN coming in just a bit. It's in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. The cornerback of the Kansas City Chiefs is facing a one-game suspension. ESPN reports Marcus Peters is being benched for Sunday's game against the Raiders. Peters was penalized for throwing a penalty flag into the stands this past Sunday. After the Jets' two-point try with 2.15 left in the game, Peters will not be at practice this week. To be clear, this is a team-orchestrated thing, not from the league, correct? Yes. And... So that's why, because otherwise he could practice. I mean, so this is obviously the team trying to get his attention. The thing I do think that's cool in this, and I saw a quick shot of this happening in the fan, you talk about unique souvenirs. How many (laughs) fans own an actual NFL penalty flag? It's so rare that they would be in the stands. Much more common for a ball or any other piece of equipment uh, to go in the stands. But uh, pretty cool if that kid uh, got to keep it, and that's a great story. Not sure if it's on eBay yet, though. (laughs) Uh, Hornets coach Steve Clifford taking a leave of absence because of his health. The team releasing a statement earlier today saying there's no timetable for his return. Associate head coach Stephen Silas will take over during Clifford's absence. I don't know anything about that one, but uh, wish him the best. And it's a grind. The uh, NBA schedule, Warriors made it with uh, Steve Kerr on the sideline for quite a bit last year. So hopefully uh, good things come for the Hornets. Four decades ago, a newborn in Argentina was taken away from her mother. She's been reunited now with members of her family after DNA tests were a match to her parents who were taken away under a previous military regime. God bless America. (laughs) Be happy you live here, Joe. That's right. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. Back with more in the booth. Seth Greenberg next on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Syracuse Crunch are in Utica tonight to take on the Utica Comets. Join us for Countdown at Crunch Time at 645 and the puck drop at 7 on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse, brought to you by CNYRealtor.com, CH Insurance, and Burdick Ford. Good to have you with us for another few minutes, and great to have Seth Greenberg of ESPN with us to uh, chop it up on the season a little bit. Seth, good to see you. And I, I saw you from Section 223 at the Garden last <laughs> night. You were down there. We were uh, up in the Knicks broadcast booth, sort of, and that's a long way from the court. Yeah, it was uh, it, you know, it was a great atmosphere. It was a great, obviously, yeah. event, a uh, great environment for college basketball. Never gets old visiting the Garden. No. And uh, it's just one of those things. And to have a tradition-rich game was obviously uh, – and one you could win 
was also good. And, uh, you know, I saw a lot of positive things. Syracuse, I, I think, is playing pretty well. They had deficiencies, but I think that, that as usual, Coach Bayham's getting a lot out of his team. Yeah, we'll circle back to your thoughts on Syracuse in a second. You know, I asked Coach Bayheim this for the pregame show last night. You know, you guys go back with Jim Valvano, and I heard, you know, an early quote from Valvano saying, look, all I ever want to do is coach the 9 o'clock game at Madison Square Garden. And <laughs> how cool is that to do? And, and that's uh, really what it turned out to be for Syracuse last night, where you can see in the, the city that never sleeps things build to the late night game. And that was the atmosphere we had last night. Yeah, it, it was. And then, yeah, Jim, you know, he was a New Yorker. I mean, he grew up one town over from where I grew up. And, you know, the, when you grow up on Long Island in New York in Queens and Bronx, even upstate, I mean, you know, the garden is just a special place. To me, it was a little more special when you could walk out through the middle where Willis walked out because I was at that game. Yeah, okay. But uh, but it's still, every time you go in there, you know, you, you get chills because there's only one world's most famous arena. That's right. That's one of the parts of the renovation that you don't walk out in the middle anymore the way – uh, really, that's the way the Big East tournament setup was for yeah. many years. You kind of um, come out right behind the scores table and then split off to your benches, and there was the tunnel there. Uh, now it's a little bit of a different uh, lay of the land. And I actually said being elevated last night and spending a little more time up in the 200 and 300 uh, level, I don't know that I noticed. It seems like some things have changed even since last year uh, being in the garden, but maybe I missed it last year. The renovation now uh, – is complete and it's you can complete. Re- they got they finished yeah. the end zones up, yes. up in the end zones and a nice little piece of marketing the worst seats in the house they kind of you know bill as, as the nostalgic i'm sure there's lots of people that remember the you know time going to knicks games for a dollar in the blue seats and they've kept those blue seats which is a nice way of saying seats that are you know you can pretty much touch the roof from but uh <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the seats i sat in for when wills came out right? i was in the last row of garden up top there <laughs> that's very cool seth greenberg of espn is with us and i was gonna start uh seth by asking you you know we talk in terms of the eye test and what your eye test says about syracuse but i'm not sure that's terribly relevant given that last night was not representative of what we've thought Syracuse was going to be or, or has been for the most part this year. Frank Howard, who's much improved, had his worst game in memory. And Matthew Moyer, who hadn't done a whole lot, uh, looked to be uh, you know an impressive contributor and playing above the rim. Yeah, I think Matthew Moyer is huge for Syracuse because he can score a little bit. He showed he could rebound the ball a little bit. He's got good size, which makes him uh, effective closing out on people in the zone. Uh and he played hard, and I think that's what Jim was looking for, to be honest with you, that you know, he's one of those guys, he kind of teases you, which Matt Moyer are we going to get, and can we get it each and every night, and how consistent can he be, and if he can be consistent, then you know, we got a guy that can contribute. And uh, I thought he was really active, I thought he played hard, I thought he was uh, engaged. And then Frank Howard turned it over, made some, that, that decision he made at the end of the half was just, I mean, yeah. you know, awful, but... Yeah, he he played out of character, but you know he still got a couple deflections, and you know when he's active on the top of that zone, that zone is pretty good. Uh, so uh, to be able to win when he turns it over nine times is not bad. Uh, and no matter what, this is not a great Connecticut team, but they're still you know it's Connecticut Syracuse, and you can throw a lot of things out. So getting out of there with a win and bouncing back after the Kansas game and. Uh, Kansas was a tough matchup for them because of the guard play and the number of guys who can pass and shoot. 
uh, Jim's doing a great job. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, I like uh, O'Shea Brissett. I think he's going to be really good. Obviously, Battle's good. I think that if you get Moyer playing, Frank takes care of the basketball. You know, if you can get one or two more guys contributing, now you've got a chance to, you know, because the league is not what it was, as good as it was. It's just not. Not uh, as not as deep, right? Because yeah, and, and not I, as deep. There are more wins along the road uh, that you, games you you know you can win. I think there's more opportunities to go on the road and and have a team that you know, maybe relies on having to you know make a bunch of threes or uh, you know I just think there's ways. I mean, you know, uh, NC State's good, but you know it's winnable if you handle the pressure. Now that's an I- issue. Uh, you know, BC just lost Hawkins. That's going to really impact them. They're, you know, obviously at the bottom. Wake Forest can score, but they don't guard. Uh, you know, you go through the league. Virginia's terrific, but they're not what they were because they don't have Parenthes, who made plays at the end of the games. Uh, Virginia Tech can really shoot the ball. But, I mean, there's just there's, there's wins out there. Yeah, I, I think when we get to the conference schedule for Syracuse, the story will be that the schedule has broken nicely uh, for the Orange. They play all the best teams only once, except for Virginia as a double, and they play BC twice, Pitt twice, Wake Forest twice. You know, teams that right now are you know still trying to find their way and are, are in the uh, probably lower third of the, of the conference. So I mean, that, you still got to find a way to win some games to get you in the tournament. Sure. Well, that's why. You know, last night's important because it's a you know you're not competing against last year's Syracuse team that that's gone. But the idea of checking a box last you know last year's team kicked this game away. Connecticut they right. lost to Georgetown mm-hmm. and and so while you know Georgetown's not very good this year either. You know, yeah, they can beat you at your place. So that's an opportunity. You know, next weekend uh, after this one after Colgate on Saturday, right? So you're you're sort of improving your resume relative to a year ago as you move along. Yeah, no one knows how good. Georgetown is because they played absolutely no one. Right. I mean, so I mean, I think they they can play St. Leo's next, but they <laughs> actually have pretty good personnel because Derrickson's, Derrickson's back and he's a little bit better, and Govan's big, and Johnson's not bad. I mean, they've got. Imagine if if JT three stayed and they had Tremont Waters. I mean, that would be a that'd be a pretty good team. Sure. So you know, you know, to me, it's it, it's interesting, but. uh you know, I, I, I'm interested to watch the development of uh, of the Syracuse team. I, I actually kind of like them. Seth Greenberg, our guest, and you know, you as a former Virginia Tech coach know the DMV region, and, and that's where Frank Howard is from. And and you know, I think he was frustrating or a tease a little bit in the last couple of years because he would do some things and not be able to sustain it, and maybe not against the better teams. How when a guy is considerably better, and he he was legit, he was really rolling. Uh, you know, Kansas is tough. Devontae Graham's a stud. And, but he had a decent game against them. And then, you know, last night lays an egg. How do you get a guy like that back and say, look, man, you are legitimately better. You've turned a corner. This one game does not need to set you down the wrong road. Yeah, Jim's so good at that. I mean, you know, Jim and Red and, and those guys, they do, they do a good job with that kind of stuff. And it's it's the personal time that they're going to spend with those guys. And, and you know, Frank said, look, it's one game. Let's go. You know, hey, we we're fortunate. You didn't play your best yet. We still found a way to win. That's a great thing. That's why, you know, what, you know you have teammates. And that, look, what, what a great, you know, breakthrough game for Matt. And, you know, we'll get you back on track. And that'll make us that much better. And, and that's how you sell it to those guys. Love it, and we'll look to see uh, how they bounce back. What do you think of Brissett, Seth? Uh, you know, a guy who under recruited, not in the you know typical American AAU circuit, but a lot of fun to watch. 
Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's got to, obviously, he's, early on I thought he settled. I, I think he, if he can get to 17 feet and use that length, his ability to rebound the ball and initiate the break is exciting. Uh, you know, he's going to, like anything else in the zone, he's going to get more used to historic pass lines and getting more deflections, but I think he's really good. I right. mean, like really, really good. I saw, I went and watched practice a couple of days when I went to visit my daughter up there, and I, I think that, uh, I think he's got a chance to be really special. Looking forward to it, my man. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll see you down the road over the course of the uh, conference season and beyond, okay? You got it, pal. Thanks, That's, man. Thanks uh, for having me. You bet. Anytime. That's Seth Greenberg of ESPN. More than any time. We enjoy having people like that on. They don't need to thank us. We thank them, and uh, we'll be watching for Seth and his comments on all the ESPN programming throughout the course of the season. So back tomorrow uh, with the show as well. Saturday, a game as the Orange take on Colgate in the Dome. And then a week with no games leading up to the Georgetown game during finals for the guys. For Joe Salzone, Matt Park saying so long. You've been in the booth on ESPN Radio Series.